Welcome to this episode of Curating Crypto, where we focus on covering the art and culture scene surrounding the crypto space. And now, here's your host, Pavo Villalobos. Hello, everyone. This is Pavo, your host of Curating Crypto. Tonight, we have a Canadian artist emerging out of British Columbia with the goal of getting to know the world. After traveling across four continents, he decided to call Scotland home. He graduated with honors from Edinburgh University and Edinburgh College of Art with a master's in fine arts in 2008. He's probably one of the first fine artists that has migrated to crypto, and definitely the first fine artist experimenting with augmented reality in the UK. More than likely, you have already been exposed to his work at this point, as some of his popular pieces are often featured around social media such as the architect Dorian Satoshi Nakamoto, and the eccentric John McAfee. You may have also read about him on Bitcoin.com or BreakerMag, specifically covering one of his media stunts in 2017, where at an exhibition at the Scottish National Portrait Gallery, he overlaid crypto-related AR on 27 of the paintings on display before his solo exhibition, Crypto Disruption, The Art of the Blockchain. Without further ado, let's welcome Trevor Jones. Hello, Trevor. Welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you here. Let's get started with the basic question. Who is Trevor Jones? Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be? Um, so I grew up uh, in a, a small town in Western Canada. Um, kind of spent the, the uh, a misspent youth, I would say, uh, the better part of uh, my 20s backpacking around the world and uh, working various jobs, whatever I could find. Uh, it was a, a fun life, uh, not a lot of responsibility. Uh, I guess I can explain it as, you know, when I hit my 30s, um, you know, I, I, I needed to find some some meaning in my life. It's quite cliche. Uh, and so I decided that I was going to become an artist. Uh, you know, I hadn't picked up a pencil or brush in 14 years or so. Uh, so that's kind of how the whole art career came to be. I, uh, I enrolled in a, a little art school and did a foundation year to put a portfolio together so that I could apply to art college. I did that in Scotland, so I'd been working, living here about three years, and then uh, I applied to Edinburgh College of Art and Edinburgh University for their five-year program, which is a Master's of Fine Art, which is a really unique program, and then it basically put a BA in, in art um, and uh, an art history degree together uh, in five years, so it was quite intensive, um, but it really gave me a foundation in art history which then was able to, you know, inform my work, and it was I was able to more contextualize what I was doing within, you know, the, the constructs of, of art history. So definitely worthwhile doing that. Um, so I was like six years of education essentially, and then uh, I got a job running an arts charity called uh, uh, Art and Healthcare. So I was a CEO for seven years. We put painting uh, out in hospitals and care homes around the country, organized art workshops, um, classes for elderly and elderly people and people with disabilities. So that was a, a really fulfilling job. I was also teaching part-time uh, evenings and weekends, as well as painting towards my solo exhibitions. Uh, so it was a pretty, uh, pretty busy time. And then eventually, you know, after about seven years of, of working and painting, I came to the realization that I needed to focus focus my energies on my art and so i quit my my job stepped down from the arts charity and uh focused entirely on my painting uh, and that's the, the rest is history i guess 
Very interesting. So the, the first question that I'll ask, and, and I know that you draw, because I know that a lot of people are kind of uh, amazed when, when they know that you can draw. So you were exposed to art in the early years, even before you went for a formal trading? I wasn't exposed to the art scene, to be honest. Uh, it was a late bloomer. I hadn't actually been to a, an actual art gallery until I was about 28 years old. Interesting. Um, and traveling. I was, I was, like I said, I grew up in this tiny village of about uh, 1,200 people. There wasn't really, you know, there's an arts and crafts scene, but not really uh, a fine art scene, if you know what I'm saying. There wasn't galleries, commercial galleries around. There wasn't any, you know, national museums or anything like that. So um, I was, I enjoyed art in high school and I was good at it. You know, I was always top of the class, but I, I took those classes more, to be honest, uh, as easy mark and not think that I was going to eventually become an artist. So like I said, it was a good 14 years or so after that, uh, you know, I decided to focus on, on becoming an artist and it was definitely a shock to, to myself and to pretty much everybody I knew. And you went really intense, right? So you went from traveling to, to a very intense program, uh, art-related program in a very accredited scene. So what would you say for people that are listening to this and they say, I wish I would have explored a little bit more about art or maybe I'm already a doctor, an engineer, an accountant, but I've always had this itch to go back to art. Do you encourage that? <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Well, when, when I was teaching at the the little art school, uh, it was I was teaching adults, uh, like so, evening classes or weekend classes, mostly drawing and painting, figurative. Um, people from all walks of life, uh, you know, and of all ages. So, you know, from twenty up to, I think my oldest student was about ninety-two at one point. So, uh, uh, and and you know, doctors and lawyers and engineers, um, a lot of people who just wanted to. And find some some respite from their life, you know, from the, the work or from the family. But there were some who would talk to me about, you know, what what did it take to kind of pack in? They wanted to pack in their job and and, and become an artist. And especially, I think, at an, a later stage in life, it is very very difficult. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, because when you're twenties, you know, early twenties, and you're let's say you're starting to be an artist, you don't mind really that much working at Starbucks to kind of pay the, the rent and then you're living with five other students. And right. um, whereas, you know, in your thirties or forties, you have a certain level of expectations and the quality of life that you don't really want to give up. And so becoming a, you know, an artist and even just, you know, is, is one thing, but becoming a financially stable artist, an artist who's able to bring in a decent income is really, really difficult, you know? So, I guess, you know, I worked, I think that's what you know, my advice would be is that, you know, you're, you're going to have to make massive sacrifices and continue you know, and really work on the education and your skills and really put yourself out there. And even then, there's no guarantee that you're going to really make a living. A lot of people, you know, a lot of artists who I, I know personally here in Scotland tend to have a, a wealthy partner, which helps out a lot. Uh, so trying to do it on your own is, is, is difficult, but it's possible, you know, and like right. I said, I mean, I, I went in a hundred percent focused a hundred percent and always with the, the hope and the determination and the perseverance that I would eventually get to a point where I'm now and doing quite well, but it's, it's taken 17 years almost. So it's not right. overnight. You mentioned a couple of things, right? So the first is the skill. I think it's human nature. Everybody has the desire to, express themselves in, in one way or the other. And it's a certain level of you trying something new to saying, okay, this is decent. But then it's, it's a huge leap from being somewhat decent to being good at something, right? Uh, and art is no different. 
and then you mentioned another thing, right? So this is not skill, but it's also the sacrifice, right? So it's saying, you know what, I'm going to put everything on hold for now for me to try something that I have the desire, maybe I have the skill, but also sacrifice not only maybe your immediate future, but your family's immediate future and see if, if you make it as an artist. So there's, there's several components, it seems. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I was single for the better part of, you know, I, I was dating, um, but it was difficult because I was, you know, I, I honestly, I, I put my education and, and my, my painting ahead of my partners. And, you know, they, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I was single for, for such a long time. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a huge sacrifice, but you know, I guess it's just, and, and, and also, I mean, of course there has to be levels of actual ability, skill and ability, but you know, people, if, if you're willing to dedicate your life towards something, you might not be the absolute best in the world, but you can become good enough to do, to do well at it, to, to achieve a certain amount of acclaim, to, to make a living at it. And that was always my expectation. You know, I, I never said to myself, I'm, I want to be, you know, the most famous artist in Scotland. I want to make tons of money. It was, I want to be the best artist I can be. And ideally I want to be making some, you know, a, a living at it. So, you know, and I've, I've achieved those things. It's taken a long time, but I've, I've never been happier. And I can honestly say, you know, I made at the, the time that I made the decision, I was 32 when I was, went to the, the foundation year and 38 when I graduated. You know, it was it was a, a tough go, um, but I'm I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. You know, and it's all worked out, so <laughs> it's it's been good. Uh, it's a relief. No wonder you're in cryptocurrency, right? Because you know the sacrifice and you know how how long you have to hold before you take profit. So I think it's a good segue to the next thing I wanted to ask you. How did you get into cryptocurrency? I remember talking to you early on, and I do recall the, the first time I was exposed to your art, the first painting I saw was Boris Johnson. Um, yes. And then your Dorian Satoshi Nakamoto piece came across, and I, I believe it was, it was on Twitter. And I loved it, the Dorian Satoshi Nakamoto piece, because it, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's not Satoshi per se, right? But it's the media frenzy. They screwed this guy over. And then the Bitcoin community came back and kind of said, sorry, here you go, a little bit of uh, contribution to you. It was art in itself, right? Because it's human nature, how, how it goes about. And there's something going on that's increasing in value. And then there's this media attention. And then we have one guy that has the same name. So I thought it was great. But um, I remember early on when I met you, you would always tell me, remember there, that I'm an artist, not such a technical person. And a few months later, you were talking about investing in different coins and we're talking about uh, the having. So tell me, how did you get into cryptocurrency and, and are you, are you here to stay? Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely here to stay. Uh, now, um, I think I first heard about Bitcoin probably 2014, 15. Um, and you know, I just, I'd heard about it, but it wasn't until maybe early 2017 when I started to research a little bit more and more as a, an investment opportunity. Like you mentioned, the, the politics exhibition, it was called um, Would I Lie to You? The, the, the Art of uh, Propaganda. That was, I did 10 paintings of world leaders, including Boris Johnson. And it was on the run up to the US presidential election with, of course, Hillary and, and uh, the Donald, uh, Tony Blair, uh, Theresa May, David Cameron. So, and they're all made of junk rubbish that I found on the streets and plastered them all together to, and oil paint to create these, these paintings. And, it was more of an exercise in profile raising. I knew it would generate a lot of publicity, which it did. 
Um, we got a lot of media attention, especially with the augmented reality and the videos that I produced for each painting. But the thing, that, the unexpected thing that came out of it was the fact that one buyer purchased all ten paintings, you know, for a, a, a quite a large sum of money, and that did a couple things. You know, one, it gave me confidence in the opportunity to create work this this edgy that's um, political that uh, that has real meaning and substance, and to sell it, and also that. Yeah, I didn't have to work through commercial galleries anymore because I wasn't, you know, I was normally creating like most artists do, um, you know, abstract works, um, abstract landscapes, you know, some abstract figurative works to, to, to try to sell through commercial galleries to try to make a living. So when I organized this exhibition myself, sold everything, what that did was open up a whole new world of possibilities to me. So when I started to get in, involved in cryptocurrency, it was only, it was probably about seven months after I first began investing. Uh, and through the, the seven months, I was, you know, I was reading every article I could find, you know, I was following people on Twitter. Uh, I was educating myself around the space, the community. I'm not a techie guy. I'm not a, a coder. I'm not a, a developer. I still get confused a lot when I, you know, I, I listen to people within the, the space talk about, you know, more technical aspects of things that are happening. I'm, I'm an artist, but I'm at least I'm kind of aware of what's going on. Uh, so yeah, it was about seven months after I started investing and uh, looking at different altcoins and shitcoins and and back and forth that I thought you know there's really a lot of exciting and interesting information and content in this space to develop a, an exhibition around, and that's how I, I tend to work. I I'll get an idea together and I'll spend at least a couple of months developing the idea, developing the you know the concept. Uh, and then eventually start painting and paint for another eight to 10 months and then organize the, the solo show. And that's what I've been doing so, since I've focused full time on, on painting, which is about uh, just, so, just about five years now. So, uh, so yeah, it was um, this delving into the crypto space. Again, massive risk, uh, a massive, massive chance taking because I didn't know if there was a market for it. I didn't, you know, I, I've I'd seen a few other artists in the space, you know, creating. I didn't know if they were actually selling anything. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know anybody in the space. I didn't know anybody here in Scotland uh, at all. So it was a, a massive risk on on my part. But, you know, I mean, with a, a bit of calculated risk, it, it, it paid off. So, yeah, definitely, definitely staying in the space now. I've made just so many contacts. I've, I've got so much more left. Uh, and more information to, to create more paintings. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited about the future. And to be fair, you say you're not technical, but I remember shortly after we started talking, right? So I bought one of your prints, but I, I have to say, you, you say you're not technical, but I, I remember when I, I introduced you to Scent and I remember the same day that I introduced you to Scent, I said, hey, there's this social media, you're, you're going to earn ETH based on your posting. And I also introduced one of my friends that he's a, a musician, he's a multi-Grammy nominee. And I introduced you both and he had a hard time getting the grasp of it and getting on. And you got on pretty quickly, you started interacting. So I would say for being somebody non-technical, you're you're pretty tech savvy. <laughs> I guess uh, it's probably that 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 no fear take thing or, or risk taking is that you know I'm, I'll just keep on <laughs> trying things and pushing buttons until something until something happens. I'm not afraid of, of breaking anything. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, again, I think that's another thing, a characteristic that you know it's is a good uh, characteristic to have is to to be open to new ideas all the time. You know, and that's one of the things that kind of 
you know, led me over the last, especially the last seven years into combining art and technology. Like, you know, it's like, I'm not the, the most technical guys. I'm not afraid of trying new things. But once I, I, I liked this idea of, of combining these two very, very different worlds in a sense. And I didn't really see anybody else doing that from an arts perspective. Uh, artists tend to be quite, um, you know, technicals and to stay away from um, all forms of technology. So that was, it was great. You know, it, it completely transformed the way that I work. Um, and developed a, a, new, a very new style of work, which I'm, I'm excited about. But also at the same time, it, it cut me off from the art world. You know, I'd been part of the the art establishment. You know, I was running the, the arts charity. I was teaching at uh, an art school. Um, I knew most, you know, the, the biggest name painters in, in Scotland. I, you know, I knew the, the director of the National Gallery of Scotland. You know, I mean, so I was joined different societies, Visual Arts Scotland, you know, the, the RSA Open Exhibitions. and once I started to delve into the concept of, of art and technological collaboration, the art world really wasn't interested in what I was doing. It was difficult for me to show my work in commercial galleries because they didn't know how to sell it. They didn't know what it was about. Um, I wasn't painting pretty abstract landscapes anymore. So, you know, it was a, a diff, again, a, di a difficult process and, 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 a, and a big risk. Um, you know, so, I think, you know, with, with no risk, no reward, you know, and, and if you're willing to take a big risk um, and a calculated risk and work towards it, that you know, there's, there, there's a good chance that, uh, that you'll find success. So, yeah, definitely agree. Uh, I was going to ask you about it, but you touched on it. So what does the, the traditional gallery and the art team thinks about uh, somebody that makes this transition more into the digital space. And to be fair, you may already be one of the weird ones because you were implementing augmented reality, which was different and something hard for uh, traditional artists, maybe even the buyers of traditional art or the fine art to understand that there is this possibility of not only show a fine piece of art, but also augment the experience by doing so much more with the augmented reality. So pretty good that you touched on that. Absolutely. Um, like I said, I, I, I was painting these big QR codes back in 2011. Uh, and um, I've got a, a good friend here who's uh, a, a techie. And, and uh, so we created a website that was connected to these different QR code paintings. It became an online platform for other artists around the world to upload their own work. So um, and we did a lot of very cool things. Um, and so, you know, these paintings became windows to another dimension, a, a digital dimension. I, I found it really exciting. I thought like nobody's, nobody's doing anything like this. Um, and I was scouring the, the internet and Googling, you know, artists and, and QR codes. I found a couple, you know, that were you know, one in Canada, one in um, America who were making interesting QR code work. You know, there's a lot of crap out there as well. Uh, but again, they were, they, they weren't really exploring all the possibilities that the digital side could could offer. Um, that was 2011-12. By 2012-13 was when I was introduced to augmented reality. And that's when everything changed because now I didn't have to restrict myself to these, you know, kind of pattern squares anymore. Um, I could actually paint anything I wanted. I had to relearn how to, um, or not relearn, but actually kind of learn how to implement um, the technology in such a way that, that it made sense with paintings. So, you know, there's different ways of working backwards from the video content or working from the painting, then working towards the video. So lots of challenges. 
um, but you know, worthwhile. And, and, you know, I'm, I was, it was actually quite funny because that was 2013 when I actually produced my first augmented reality painting. And, uh, and I thought, my God, this is amazing. You know, this is so cool. You know, I need to get an exhibition out quick, a uh, solo show of augmented reality works uh, with a theme, because if I don't, every artist around is going to be jumping on this. And it's been, what, seven years now almost, and still you know, nobody else is really, they're just recently, you know, and there's actually uh, a number of artists in the crypto space who are now using augmented reality. Um, because they're not afraid of the technology, whereas I think the traditional artists, the traditional art market is not ready for it. Um, they don't understand it. They don't want to get their head around it. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been quite the, the journey. Absolutely. And, and you're exactly right. We just came off of this conference in San Francisco, a Bitcoin conference, and, and you see a, a few artists that are exploring uh, augmented reality and some other ways to augment their art by including something that's technically oriented. So in terms of crypto art, what makes a good artwork and what should existing artists be aware of if they're not so already? Uh, I mean, there's obviously a, a, a correlation between the traditional art market and, and the art establishment and art that is produced in the crypto space. You know, the, the first and foremost, there, in my opinion, there needs to be a balance between the concept, the art concept and the skill or the craft. Um, you know, I mean, in the art world itself, in the last 20, 30 years uh, of more conceptual art, the craft and the skill has tend to be pushed to the side, which personally, I, I you know, I don't agree with. Um, but also at the same time, you know, so if something you know is exceptionally exceptionally skilled, but the idea, the concept is meaningless or irrelevant, then you know, what's the point as well? So, first and foremost, artists need to be and finding that walking that line of uh, between really developing their skills, getting better, improving, and and really developing the the concepts. What what are they trying to say? Um, they need to develop a, a visual language. Um, you know, I, I tend to talk about painting and, and drawing most because I'm a painter. But you know, whether you're creating sculptural work or installations or photography or you know, perform whatever that you know. There's, there has to be that level of skill and quality and concept. I think gimmicky. There's a lot of really gimmicky work in the crypto space right now, um, and it's it's pointing more towards kind of merchandise. You know, it's, you can't call merchandise fine art. You know, I'm not trying to be, be elitist at all, um, but it's it's a fact. You know, art needs to challenge the viewer. You know, it needs to you know, hold up a, a mirror to to the and shine a light on on society and 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 ask questions or force the viewer to, to think about particular things. Um, whereas a, a merchandise, you know, piece or a a, a bee on a, a coffee mug, um, you know, or whatever, uh, doesn't doesn't do that. So you know, the artists need to, to to really have um, you know quality art or to create quality art. You need to challenge the viewer. You need to be saying something that's this important that needs to be said and you need to develop your your visual language as an artist to really say it in, in, a, in a powerful way so yeah it's a lot to think about for for artists getting into the space as well as um i think there needs to be more of an education uh you know there's i know that there's a lot of um, self-taught artists in this space and um which is absolutely fine you know i, I know some some self-taught artists here in, in scotland are exceptionally talented but these but the artists also if you're self-taught you need to really continue to develop you know your your knowledge base your education so you're not just kind of throwing 
what you think is art out there, but not understanding how it fits within the context of, of art history or what it, what it actually means. So yeah, there's it's it's, it's an early early days, and uh, and I think the problem with that is it's confusing. It can confuse potential buyers um, and can confuse artists that are coming to the space. So there's going to be a lot of uh, teething periods, you know, over the next few years. I think anyway. Yeah, and you're exactly right. There's two things, right? One is merchandising, one is art. And to like both is not a big issue. I mean, I, I can tell you I bought great merchandise and I, and I like it. I have t-shirts and I produce t-shirts or even to go uh, more personal, I, I created some crypto helmets one time, right? And to me, it was just to just put a logo on a helmet, right? It's nothing more than that. But this is not art. And I, and I think that great divide needs to to continue because definitely if I put a, like you said, a coffee mug with a B versus fine art or, or a print that tells a story, it's, it's very, I would say it's a very different type of audience and, and type of buyer. It's just, it's just a different thing, right? What do you think needs to happen for crypto art to become a genre? And, and one of the things we've talked offline in the past is we're seeing this where people are paying $20 for, for a print versus 50, 60, $70,000 for, for a painting. And the gap is really large. So uh, what do you think needs to happen in for crypto art for it to be recognized as a, a specific genre and be respected by the larger art community? Uh, I think time is one of them, but I think things like this podcast will help to progress that. Uh, there needs to be um, an education of the market, um, an education of the artists coming into the space, whether they're um, academically trained or, or not. Um, th there needs to be a, a curatorial element to the work um, that's, that's being produced in this space. Uh, so there's at least some kind of understanding to certain, you know, it's tough because you know, the, the art, traditional art market is, is, is corrupt as well. You know, there's great galleries out there who are, who are, are doing good things and are trusting, trustworthy. There's other ones who are absolute charlatans, you know, trying to sell crap for the most amount of money. Um, so there, there needs to be levels of trust and that trust, you know, it has to be built up over, over time. And that will come through, I think, like this curation of the artists who are working the space um, and, and the education of the potential buyers. Um, you know, I think, like you, you, you mentioned there about the, the pricing, I think, and that's something also that, you know, if you've not worked in the traditional, you know, conventional art sector, you haven't shown your work in commercial galleries, it's very difficult for you to know as, uh, as an artist how to price your work. And so there has to be some kind of consensus to why, you know, why are you, this artist, pricing something for 50 pounds or 100 pounds? Or dollars, whatever, and uh, and this one for twenty or fifty thousand. You know, there there needs to be some kind of consensus as to why the, where these prices are coming from. Uh, I think looking, you know, I, I talk a lot of crap about commercial galleries, but they've also been around for almost two hundred years. You know, and there's a lot of good things uh, that commercial galleries do or has have done in the past, and that's to to build up the reputation of the artists that they work with, um, to help fund them, to you know, to to give them more opportunities to, to produce work um, and to develop that trust with their clientele base. You know, so if somebody comes into an art gallery and says, you know, why is this painting worth $500 and this one worth $5,000 that the gallery owner will be able to say, 
why, you know, what's, you know, what the difference is between the two paintings or the artist, you know, the, the, the quality of the work, or is it the reputation of the artist, the, the, the background of that, this one artist here has won more awards or, you know, than this one, you know, there's so many different uh, reasons why pricing is different. And I think that the, 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 the artists in this space now have to be aware, they have to learn, you know, why, 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 why their work is worth, you know, around this much and not that much. Um, and again, that's going to take some time for artists to get their head around. And I think it's going to take time because what, what it does right now, I think is that it damages the space. It damages, confuses potential buyers. And even on the other flip side, you know, there are artists, you know, working in this space right now, who I think are undervalued. I think they're, they're pricing their work too low. Uh, and that in itself, I think it's a great buy, you know, it's like buying a, buying an altcoin, you know, and then it skyrockets up. And I think, you know, um, it's going to take some time for it to, to find some kind of equilibrium, I guess. I think one, one more important thing is for the space to really grow and, and become a, a, a genre itself and respected is that there's going to have to be more knowledgeable people within the space, like art critics, writers, you know, eventually art historians, uh, more and more academically trained artists coming into the space. Uh, and then eventually it's, it's going to just take some time. And once the space grows, the art is being, that's being produced is you know, really high quality art. Then eventually the traditional or the conventional um, commercial art market will open its doors, guaranteed, because there'll be, there'll be money in it. And more and more people will, uh, will want to be buying this work, especially as at some point, uh, mass adoption takes place and everybody owns a little bit of Bitcoin. Um, everybody's going to want a piece of crypto art, quality crypto art. Excellent. Very, very interesting. So do you see crypto art related critics arising and then uh, curators of, of this type of art. So in, in the sense, doing the, the good side of what the traditional galleries do, which is basically saying, hey, uh, we know that this artist has a background, has the experience, has a trajectory for to be in, in my space. Because the vast majority of the people out there that go to galleries, maybe they're just, it's a visceral reaction, right? It's just, I like this and I think it's good, but they don't even understand why they like it or they may not have a defined taste, I would say. And they rely on the, on the galleries to do this, but then it, it also comes to at a great cost to the artist because they charge, what is it, 30, 40% sometimes for, for whatever they sell. So I guess there's an opportunity for us to copy the, the good aspects of the gallery, but also kind of disrupt what's what's been traditionally uh wrong with the with the gallery system absolutely yeah yeah i think it's a like i said it's a new space it's an exciting space um it's going to get some things wrong but there's the opportunity to really build on what has already come before it and and make changes and and improve it um that's the that's the plan what do you think artists working in this space need to do to improve and develop their work um I guess I could probably say things that are going to upset or, or piss people off, but I, you know, I don't mean to, you know, I, I want the absolute best for the other artists in this space uh, and the best for, you know, the crypto art in, in general to, to really, like I said, develop and, and grow in something special. So, you know, I think one thing is, you know, it's as an artist, you need to decide, you need to define what success means to you. You know, if it's, just creating a little bit of work as a hobby and hopefully selling some online and it subsidizes your income, you know, and you've got a, a real job, then, then great. But if you actually want to become a you know, reputable, legitimate, respected artist, 
who makes a, a living and ideally a, a decent living creating work that's related to the space, you know, you, you have to push, push yourself and become the absolute best you can be, you know, and taking that risk of, of going full time is tough, you know, but I've always said to you know, people, you know, you, you can't, nobody becomes uh, the best at anything, at, at anything or a professional, something working on Sundays. There were a couple of evening classes, you know, you know, Andy Murray didn't, or Raphael Dell and, you know, Federer didn't become the best tennis players in the world by playing on Sundays. So there is going to have to be at some point in an artist's career to make up their mind to choose to, to become a full-time artist and, and dedicate their life to it. And that's just a, a fact. Um, the more time you spend, the, the better you'll become. You know, the, you need, like I said, develop your skills, your technique, your knowledge, Go to commercial galleries, you know, see what other artists are doing and see how they're pricing their work. Um, you know, I think there's, like I said, there's a lot of self-taught artists in this space at the moment who don't really have a grasp of, of pricing, you know, so, and, and they shouldn't be pricing based on the strength of Bitcoin. You know, like if, let's say, Bitcoin lost 50% in six months from now, you know, are all these artists going to reduce their prices by 50%, you know, or if it, it skyrockets and triples in the next year, are they going to, you know, that doesn't make sense. Again, that confuses potential buyers um, and it's dangerous. I think, you know, you need, need to price your work accordingly and based on, on knowledge and, and in-depth research. Um, you know, if you're a self-taught artist, you know, take classes, you know, go, go do some painting classes, get better, you know, um, learn more about your craft. Take constructive criticism. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes taking criticism. I, I hate it, but I'll take it because, but I'll also take it from people I respect. You know, I don't have to like them, but I have to respect them, you know, based on their background. I don't listen to anything on Twitter um, because 99% of the people on, on Twitter aren't professional artists. They're not art historians or art critics. So, you know, it's, I love getting compliments. But I think if an artist gets too sucked into the the idea of their skill and ability based on the number of likes that they're getting, that's a very dangerous place to be in. Um, yeah, they need to continue to to really push their their skills. Um, yeah, learning how to value, value their work. Um, and I think this is something that uh, I've just noticed in the last last little while, and especially in particular. Uh, in San Francisco when we first met uh, at Bitcoin 2019 is going to these different conferences um, and it can be expensive. You know, I flew all the way from Scotland. I went to one in Manchester uh, in April. Um, then I went to a one day one in London, Crypto Compare, about a month and a half ago. And then I flew to San Francisco for Bitcoin 2019. But what that does is it raises my profile. It gets my work out there seen by, you know, everybody who, who who's in the potential market of buying it. So I think more artists in the crypto space have to be making more effort to go to these conferences, you know, regardless of how much it costs, you know, it's, it's, it's an investment in their future and it's definitely worthwhile. Um, you talk about scarcity, I think, you know, uh, are you going to create uh, a one-off, you know, are you doing NFTs? Um, you know, is it digital only? Uh, you know, the artist has, it's, it's up to the artist, you know, in the, in the traditional art market, you know, there tends to be, if you do screen prints, uh, for example, you'll probably do maybe a run of 75 to 125, maybe, you know, if you do an exchange, maybe 250. So they're quite high numbers compared to what the 
the the crypto space is looking for. But you know, at the same time, you know, I guess it's trying to find some kind of happy medium. You know, I I sell right now my my prints are limited edition of sixty five, which is quite low to be honest in the traditional art market. Um, and maybe that will be a, a an understanding um, and an education in the crypto space as we progress. You know that you know okay, if an artist wants to produce 10, 10 reproductions, 10 pieces, they're going to have to charge a lot more for them or they can charge, you know, a lot less and do a run of 65 or 100 or 200 and it becomes uh, a quality piece that people don't have to spend a lot of money on and they can still appreciate the artwork, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. The one thing I wanted to ask you, though, is in, in terms of copyright and legal issues, like I said, I, I, in this conference, I saw a lot of logos. And while Bitcoin may be fine in terms of uh, being open source, but I saw a lot of things that were kind of uh, in the line of, of a potential legal issue. And, I, and I, my opinion is the space is small. And the attention to art in the space is still not there yet. But uh, what would you recommend for these artists that are just going in and, and kind of pushing the limit in terms of something that's their own versus something that either they use as inspiration or maybe they talk about subjects that may not have given their permission expressly to produce that piece of art? It's, that's a good question. Um, and it's a tough one. Uh, there's a lot of gray area within that, uh, to be honest. And it's, it happens all the time in, in the, the commercial art market as well. People are always ripping off other people. I mean, with my, for example, my painting of uh, John McAfee, I contacted the photographer, an American photographer, who took that photo for an interview, uh, I forget what magazine it was for, and asked permission to use it. With the Same with the violin player, the Venezuela violin player painting I created. Um, I got, I managed to track down the photographer who took that, took the video and asked their permission. Um, so that's definitely the, the way to go if you're worried about lawsuits. You know, if you are going to be creating work, I mean, that's again, you know, the, you have this artistic license and if you're just copying a photograph that's not your photograph, uh, there is a possibility that you will get sued. Um, or at least called out on it and then take it down. Whereas if you, if you're able to prove that you've added your own kind of creative interpretation of it, then, um, chances are you'll be completely fine. Uh, and you don't have to worry. So I, you know, these are things that, um, artists are going to have to, to be aware of in this space, you know, especially if they've not been educated in, in that. If you're, if you are copying somebody else's work, um, photograph or otherwise, there's a possibility that, that it's going to come back to bite you. So <laughs> be careful. And then from Trevor, from a buyer's perspective, I can tell you very candidly that I, that I've talked to quite a few of the artists because it's something that is, is, is really appealing to me. I can tell you that a, a print of medium size digital art from a specific artist was a little bit more expensive than your print at the Institution Nakamoto. There's no comparison, right? And even the quality of the print wasn't that good. Uh, and it's not uh, the artist's fault is because they were using a third party to print the art and then the quality diminishes. So from, uh, from a buyer's perspective, when you're buying art, what do you need to pay attention? Uh, and not only in terms of price and in terms of scarcity, but in, and obviously the fact that it appeals to you visually and that's kind of the first way that you engage. But as a buyer, what do you need to look out for and say, okay, perfect. So I, I agree with the price point. That's something that's very personal and it'll vary by every subject. But as, as you're doing this valuation of art and you're comparing one versus the other, what do you need to look for to say, hey, th this is something that's worth the money? Oh, that's a, a tough question. I think 
you know, that will potentially iron itself out over time as, you know, the artists who are getting into the space um, learn more. You know, I, with my, my prints, um, I, you know, I hired a, a professional photographer, one of the best ones in Scotland, who's been taking photographs uh, of paintings for the National Galleries of Scotland for the last 10 years. Um, they, he works with the biggest name artists in, in Scotland. Uh, so he, he did all my photography for me. And then I was going through uh, Edinburgh Printmakers for the digital printing. And I wasn't entirely happy with them, uh, with their attention to detail. So uh, I managed to find um, a, a printmaker, actually on the recommendation of the photographer. And he's just down on the road for me too, which is really helpful. But he is absolutely amazing. You know, the, the amount of time he took going back and forth from the original painting to the photograph, to the digital image, to doing test prints on different types of paper. Uh, it's just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He put so much time into it. And so, and you see the quality, you know, the, there's hardly any difference between the physical representation or the, sorry, the, the painting itself and the digital representation on the, the high quality paint or paper that I use. I, I don't think, I think because there's so many third party printing companies out there that offer cheap printing uh, and the artists don't really, the artists, a lot of the artists in space don't really know the difference. They're just going to use whatever they can find and it's cheap. But you, like you said, you know, you can see the quality and as more artists are showing the space and who know more, you know, somebody's going to look at one of my pieces and then look at somebody else's and go like, there is it's night and day. And again, it's not just on the buyer, but it's on the art artists. So, you know, th those artists who are bringing in and selling subpar work or reproductions need to ask questions. They need to, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to answer questions and let people know what the best way is or who to contact, um, what to look for in, you know, quality reproductions, for example. You can't just keep on creating subpar work and expecting people to, you know, to, to buy it and to, and to, you know, admire it. You know, there has to be a, a learning curve, and I guess it's going to come. But you know, yeah, ask questions. Trevor, I can tell you, somebody is listening to this podcast, and they're in their the middle of their art block, no pun intended, and they're traditional artists, and they're trying to to find their next muse, and they're seeing crypto as their potential inspiration. What can you tell them about making this transition? What What did you learn? What was uh, something that they can probably benefit from if they're if they're thinking about this move? Uh, definitely get in. Um, it's such a, a new space right now, and a growing space and an exciting space. There's so much opportunity. There's money, which is nice. Um, there's not really a lot of there's not really a lot of artists out there right now in this space. So you know, it's it's yeah, it's, it's a great space to be in. So. And I don't mind, I don't mind competition. You know, I think that will help again, drive the market. You know, more competition, the better quality of, of work is going to be produced. Uh, get in, uh, you don't need to be a coder or developer, you know, um, you learn a little bit about the space, you know, the, the people, the, you know, the, the community, a little bit about blockchain, um, but you don't need to know everything. You don't need to, you know, understand everything, every tweet that, that Vitalik Buterin puts out and what he's trying to say. Um, you know, when you look at, say, Salvador Dali, for example, 
you know, he wasn't an expert on psychoanalysis. He wasn't a, a psychiatrist or neurologist. He was a painter who acquainted himself with some of the teachings of Freud. And then he developed his own visual language to represent his ideas and his own opinions. You know, Monet and the Impressionists weren't, you know, they weren't kind of academics or on physiological optics. You know, they were painters who were interested in how the eye and brain work together. And they were aware of some of the new kind of scientific research that was coming out in the late 1800s. And then they created work based on that. You know, so you don't have to be a blockchain expert, you know, or a, uh, a you know, computer science um, graduate to create work that is relevant in this space. You know, don't, don't let that scare you off. Yeah, I say just, yeah, get in, learn as much as you can, read, uh, see what other artists are doing, uh, and just keep on working on your ideas. Excellent. So in terms of other artists, um, you, you just mentioned that the space is still pretty new and there's only a few. Are there any artists out there that you, within the cryptosphere, that you admire and, and why? That's, uh, you know, there, there's a lot. There's actually quite a few. I mean, there's it's not a huge space um, and I'm not going to be able to, to name you know all of them, but there's there's a few that, you know, that can, I'm happy to kind of really jump out. You know, obviously, first and foremost, you have to talk about crypto graffiti. You know, he's the OG. He was the one, as far as I'm aware, kind of really started off and developed his work and within the space, you know, and then made people in the space um, aware of the, the possibilities of, of actually having a kind of an art element to blockchain technology and crypto. You know, I met him, you know, we both met him at, uh, at Bitcoin 2019 in San Francisco. And um, he's just a really, really nice guy, uh, really genuine, really warm and, 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 and caring. You know, kind of have these expectations you know i when I, I thought okay what's this guy going to be like i had no idea what he looked like or who he was or i had spoken to him um you know so when i actually met him i was just like this is such a he's such a reserved sound nice guy so that, you know putting that aside you know his work is amazing you know he's one of those artists that uh, you know i look at and go like oh damn you thought of that you know i wish i thought of that you know the the quality of his work you know i actually saw for the first time in real life you know, so there's this attention to detail, you know, there's quality in the work that he produces, but also the ideas, as I mentioned before, the concept is spectacular. I mean, he just did a, a piece, I think it's on, pinned on his Twitter, it's um, called Bank Run. And, uh, you know, you need to watch that. You know, it's just, he's able to mix, uh, you know, a physical work that kind of is produced at the end of it with, with installation kind of pieces and 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 video and performance uh and and all these kind of contemporary art elements uh and still end up with a physical artwork that uh the the can sell so yeah he's he's really kind of pushing the boundaries i like i like that um pascal boyart uh, who is this amazing graffiti artist in paris and uh, actually, I met him as well last last year. We went to Paris, and he just got in touch. So, you know, we want to meet up. So we met up for some beers. Super nice guy. Again, had a great night um, chatting about art and crypto. Um, but he's what I like about him. Again, it's, he's he's a very very good graffiti artist. But he he kind of bases um, or is inspired by art history. So of course, being from Paris, being French, and he's got a lot of information around him. You know, so he creates these amazing works that are inspired by Edward Manet or Delacroix, um, you know, Gustave Courbet, uh, you know, and, and also develops it in such a way that it's connected in some way to, to Bitcoin. So yeah, very cool work. Third one, 
uh, Hoddle dot rocks Duncan. Uh, I met him in Manchester with that last conference I went to. Again, like nice guy. Um, what I like about this space, you know, there's not really a lot of there's no massive egos that I've I've seen yet. Whereas you know in the art world, there's a lot of really big egos. So yeah, um, you know, Chief Monkey, he's great craftsman. You know, uh, he does these laser cut sculptural pieces. Good story. You know, he's got the you know a really cool concept um, and his attention to detail. So the work that he creates is is really good. I think I mentioned earlier on. Like I think to be honest, I think his his work is undervalued. You listen to this and you want to get some some work at a very good price that will probably increase in value. Uh, go check out his his website. I don't know. I'm not getting any commission off this at all. But yeah, he's uh, he's a great artist. Um, and then uh, last one is uh, Vesta. Uh, he's Finnish, lives in London. Uh, art by Vesta. You know, I like him. He's he's very active in the space. He's very articulate and passionate. Um, great speaker. Uh, he paints these really kind of large scale digital paintings. Um, so he's using Photoshop and digital manipulation, uh, a whole variety of media to create these really contemporary, visually striking images. Uh, he's also got a film background. I met him in, in Manchester as well. Um, so he's got a film background. So his, his, his branding and his, his professionalism is, you know, is, is really, really high quality. You know, and that's, that's great to have. He's quite a character as well. So yeah. Um, there's four, uh, there's more out there. Um, but yeah, and there's going to hopefully just get, you know, more and more and more artists kind of coming in the space who are creating amazing work. I'm looking forward to see it, seeing it all. Yeah. So just, just kind of recapping what you said, I agree these four are great artists and I would love to have them on the show. Uh, one of the things that you said or kind of, uh, resonated as you went through the list is the attention to detail, right? So doing something that's not done in five minutes per se. And it, and the other thing is that it's, uh, it has a backstory, right? Okay. And then where can we see you next? What are you working on right now? And then if somebody's listening to this and we'll obviously put something on Twitter in terms of your art and then put a link, where, where can they find you? Pretty much Trevor Jones art, everything. TrevorJonesArt.com website uh, at Trevor Jones art. Um, I don't use Facebook that much anymore, but uh, Twitter mostly. Uh, I do have Instagram, don't use that much as well. So um, yeah, mostly my, my website and Twitter is where you'll, you'll find here, you'll able to engage with me. Um, I'm working on some really, really cool stuff right now. Paintings again, uh, of course, uh, really too inspired by the crypto space. Uh, like Pascal, you know, and I wasn't actually thinking about, you know, this at the time, but I'd, I've always liked the, the concept of mixing old with the new and like, you know, even like the, the tech with the, the art, you know, these kind of unusual contrasts that, that somehow work. Uh, and so I'm being inspired by Picasso and Brock's Cubist period, really around kind of 1907 to 1911 and deconstructing, essentially deconstructing some of these paintings and then, you know, re imagining them, you know, visualizing them as uh, something new, something contemporary that involves various symbols and, and icons and, and logos of the crypto space. So very kind of contemporary melding, meshing of, of ideas. Uh, I'll have the arbitrarily, of course, so they'll be producing videos that are related to each one. Uh, I'm working on a, a really big uh, cubist portrait right now. So I'm really excited about that. Um, what else? So I'll probably be showing those works in London um, 
next year, hopefully early next year, we'll see how I, how fast I can paint. Um, you know, that's what I think about nine months away. I've finished a couple already. I've got a few more on the go. So yeah, that's, uh, that's probably around that time. And hopefully what I'll be able to do is maybe bring two of the big paintings with me to Bitcoin 2020 in San Francisco uh, in March next year. They seem to be selling, you know, as I paint them, they, they sell. <laughs> so, uh, Such you know, a problem. Terrible. <laughs> so, but like you said, like you've said, it's it's art and artists are. It's really interesting because it's it comes in 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 bundles, right? So you spend all this time ahead of time with fear and doubt, like if you're holding the, the worst outcome, right? So it's 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 the leap of faith and then working towards the specific goal, and then all of a sudden it pays out, right? But you're paying for for all the years that you spend doing this. So it's in retribution to your effort for the past years, right? It's not only because you decided to paint something in the last year and then now it's paying off. Yeah, it's, I mean, exactly. I think I'm not sure I mentioned that before, but you know, as an artist, you have to invest in your, in your future. You have to invest in your, your, your art skills, your abilities, your education, um, just like business. You know, you don't just also start making money and then you stop investing in the business. You have to keep on investing. So whether that's, you know, doing more education, um, you know, pay, buying better quality paints or materials, um, you know, going to different conferences, different events, you know, all these different things that, you know, you have to invest, you know, over the last 17 years, I've invested tens and tens of thousands of pounds in, into, and that's not even including my student loan right now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great space to be in now for me to be able to be making the, the money that I'm not worried about money for now, which is it's a nice, yeah, nice space to be in for an artist. <laughs> Excellent. So Trevor, it's, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I, I have the pleasure to talk to you on a regular basis. I first started as a, as a client and then it quickly evolved into a friendship. So I'm, I'm blessed that you're, we talk on a regular basis and we talk about art and, and we do, and I've been able to follow you from, when you started to what you're doing now. So it's, it's excellent. Uh, it's, I, I feel very happy for you. Thanks for stopping by in the podcast. Hopefully we see a lot of great artists uh, continue this, this trend of, of joining Curating Crypto. Thanks very much, Hal, for, for inviting me on. And again, I, you know, I just reiterate that, you know, it was nice to, really nice to have met you uh, after such a long time communicating on, on uh, Twitter, um, but I can call you my friend now as well. So. Excellent. Truly appreciate it. Thank you, Trevor. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Curating Crypto. If you liked this episode, please help us by sharing, rating, and subscribing. You can also stay in touch by following us on Twitter at Curating Crypto, where we will be sharing additional information and links related to the topics we've covered in these sessions. 